Hey everybody, welcome back to the Speak Out Loud podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. We have a special episode, I think, today, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and we can't wait to get into this. That's right. Um, We're kind of taking a different approach. I think that's what makes it kind of fun. Um, Usually, Doug kind of steers the conversation, and today, um, this is mostly about what's on Doug's heart. I'm going to be the one who's really just asking him some things that uh, he is willing to share about our journey, and uh, he has a very different perspective than me, and I think that that is very refreshing, and um, I think you'll really, really enjoy this. One of the things we always say as we talk about the Speak Out Loud podcast is that our purpose, the reason we're doing this, is to bring hope and encouragement for those who struggle with mental illness and also for those who love and support them. Yeah, I just think there's just a lot of, uh, I know that Doug might not call it this, but there's just a lot of wisdom out of just experiencing this for so long. And uh, I think he will be able to encourage you to stay the path and to just continue to rely on the Lord through this in order for you to make it to different points along the journey. By no means have we arrived. Uh, this is a no, by no means, yeah. <laughs> very long uh, path that we're on, but uh, we realized that we have had many successes in it, but we've also really had to learn a lot of these things the hard way, and we hope that we can help you maybe get some ideas and some ways to maybe handle things a little different than we have sometimes, but. Sure. I I say this a lot, Stace, is that almost, I feel like almost all the lessons for sure I've learned, I've learned the hard way in this, Mm -hmm. and so if there's something we can share that, that might help somebody else or be an encouragement, maybe just because, you know, I think we say this a lot to people, we're on the journey. It's not right. like we are been there, done that. And, and maybe the one, the, the thing we can bring value to is that we can just maybe be a little bit further along that journey than somebody else possibly and just turn around and share, I don't know if, it, like you said, wisdom possibly, our experience just our knowledge of the road, you know, and and what we walked through and what we did. Mm -hmm. And uh, we recognize that not everybody's experience is going to be the same as ours. And we totally get that. But I do think there's some things that that are for sure, maybe, I don't know if universal is the right word, but certainly, certainly shared experiences across the board for, for a lot of people, a lot of families and friends that are, that are walking this road. So that's what we want to jump into. And, um, I think this is going to be fun. I do, too. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about it. Okay. Well, I just want to start by saying that you and I, of course, had no idea that this is what our road was going to look like, Um, much like you as listening. How how would you know? Um, We have been going through this for so long that there have been twists and turns in it, and then there have been times where we have not known what today was going to look like, much less um, tomorrow or the weeks to come. But God knew, and he prepared Doug for me, um, a godly man, and uh, he knew that Doug was going to go through all of this with me. And one of the things that really drew me to Doug in college when we were just friends was his loyalty and uh, his his ability just to see things through. And even when things were really hard or challenging that came up during college, like his mom's health and just some different things that I saw him trying to juggle with getting a full-time education uh, was just amazing to me. And I know that that really stood out to a lot of our peers. Uh, His mom had really bad health and um, that was just kind of the beginning of that. 
And when I saw that happening, I saw his steadfastness through that. That really made an impact on me. I was one who had moved a lot and had come from a lot of instability. So that was very important to me. I didn't even realize how important to me, but it was just really something that drew me to Doug. So I was really thankful for that. And I see how that's definitely played out in our marriage to be one of the biggest gifts to me and to our girls that I could ever imagine. Well, thank you. And I would say, Stacey, that that I look back on that and say, I really see the hand of God in putting us together. I mean, I, I think not, and I'm not thinking of that because of what I've necessarily brought to this. I'm thinking of that from what you've brought to me. Mm. And, and, you know, one of the things I, I, I've often thought is that you mentioned stability and yeah, there was a lot of stability, but you can also say maybe that life was a little bit boring. Uh, I think, Stacy, you brought a lot of excitement. And that's one of the things that drew me to you was your energy, your personality, um, the excitement of life you brought Mm -hmm. to things. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, I, I, you can look back and say, yes, we've had lots of bumps in the road and lots of challenges and certainly lots and lots of ups and downs. Uh, but I look back and say, definitely God put us together. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a perfect example of just being able to say, God, who do you have for me? Who do you want to put in my life, whether it be for a spouse or just the relationships that you have on the outside of that? Um, you don't know what you're going to face in the days, months, and years to come. And so when God puts that together, you might have, you know, sometimes go, wow, I would have never pictured that. And then you see that experience played out over and over and over in your life. And you're just like, wow, I couldn't have ever um, chosen someone better for me. And so I I am so thankful. And, and I think, Stace, just to, to tag on to that, it's so important wherever people are listening and whatever stage of life they're in, you can't predict what that future is going to be. I mean, I think, I think we had to hold on to each other through all this because we had no idea what we were going to go through. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, you know, the commitment was there and, and we're going to, we were going to walk this road together. And so God has, has not only grown us, I think closer and also grown us individually, but, but he's had to um, develop us along the way. And we had to be willing to do that and to grow in that. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's any way anybody can predict the road that lies ahead of them when they are looking at marriage or whatever commitment they're making. But they can say, I'm going to if I trust God through this, that's the the ability and the strength to figure out, well, what's it going to look like 10 years down the road? How are we going to know what, what this looks like or how we're going to get there? You're not. You have that's where trust comes in. That's right. There are so many questions that I've wanted to ask you, and we haven't had a reason for me just to sit down and ask them to you, just bang, bang, one after another. And so um, these are just some things that have really been on my mind. It was not hard to formulate these questions at all, because I think these are questions that people have asked us in different variations for a very long time. And so we just want to bring them to the forefront and you just be very um, candid and and be able to just really share from your heart, Doug, what, what this has been like. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I mean, um, I think we've seen that I know that God wants to use this story. Mm-hmm. And so I want you just to be able to feel free to answer it in any way that you want to. But, you know, at the beginning of our marriage, um, I can just remember uh, experiencing a lot of mood swings, perhaps because of my low weight, 
different things like that. But when did you, when do you think you really realized that I just wasn't in a funk? I wasn't in a bad mood, but there was something more serious going on with me because I was, I was in a a very great situation. I was married to you. We had a home. Um, We both had great jobs. We had a community of friends. We were active in our church. And so there wasn't anything pointing toward me going, okay, what, why, why is my mood so low? Why am I feeling so deeply low in my mood? I knew I was experiencing a lot of things from my past and the way I was raised and growing up. But even at that, things went south really quick. Well, and I think for me, and one of the things that I certainly want to share is, is as I look back, a lot of mistakes I made too along the way. And I think that's where a lot of these hard learned lessons have come from. I look back on that and think it it was it, it probably took me too long to understand what was going on. It took me too long to to clue into this isn't just something that we can, you know, get through just okay, we're gonna endure a tough season, a tough couple of weeks, a tough couple of months, and then things are gonna get better on the other side. Whether it be when, when we were in youth ministry and I was serving and you get to these big events or to the summer, which was just jam-packed with stuff, and it felt like it was nonstop from start to finish. You're just thinking, oh, we'll just get through this. And, and if, okay, if our schedules, if life just is a little bit less stressful, then things are all of a sudden going to get better. And I think that for me, I, I looked, I'm thinking I didn't understand. I, I delayed action. I, I think a, it was a blend of, of uh, being naive to an extent. And I think it was also a blend of denial that I was in denial over this, that I was in denial that, that, you know, you were uh, beginning to drown in some ways. And I was just thinking, okay, you're just going to be able to, to get better. Just give it a little time. You're going to be strong enough. And all of a sudden you're going to start swimming again. Mm-hmm. In reality, you're looking at me like, Hey, I'm drowning. I need some help here. And and I think I was, I don't know if I was blind to it. I think I was maybe scared of it. I was scared and, and hesitant. And uh, I let that kind of paralysis by analysis sink in to where I, I really didn't act fast because I was just thinking, okay, well, let's just figure this out. If we put it off a little bit longer. But the trouble was that things aren't going to get better on their own because you were sick. It wasn't that you were just in a mood. You were sick. And so things weren't going to get better on their own. They're only going to get worse. And we let them kind of get worse and worse and worse until maybe we took action because we were forced to take action. Mm-hmm. So I think it wasn't something that um, it wasn't like a moment I clued in as much. It was just over time. Uh, it was it was seeing you. But I will also say this. It was friends speaking into my life saying, Doug, things aren't going to things aren't getting better. You have some blind spots. Possibly you're blind to this and you need to realize what's going on and and you need to take action for the sake of Stacy and for the sake of your family to help get some help and to even figure out what is what does your job look like, what does your career look like, all those things to say, and I think I was very slow to this because I was just hopeful that we could just move past it. But you know, they say hope's not a strategy. We talk about hope on this on this show, but but I think we needed a strategy at that point. And for me, my strategy was just to hope things got better. Instead, we needed a plan of treatment, a plan of, of recovery, a plan of, um, okay, what does it even look like for us to step back and say, we're not going to just 
consider depression and mental illness as one little part of our lives. We need to center our lives around it, to pri- meaning we need to prioritize this and say, this has got to be a priority for us to get better and to focus on this. Yeah, well, just looking at our history, though, you we met right after my parents' divorce of 25 years, getting, I'd grown up in the ministry, uh, just all these life-altering things were going on and no one even knew until we were like juniors in college because I, at that point, had still had the ability, I guess, to overcome things and get back up, wipe off, and keep going. But by the time we started getting really serious in our relationship, I was tired. I was getting tired. And so that's when I decided to tell you some of the things that I'd been through that had added to why I felt the way I did at that point in my life at 21 years old. It didn't just, you know, happen. And I think something that is really important to stop and say is, is that it can be kind of dangerous to say, well, you've made it through it before or harder things than this before. And so you can do it again. I've seen you do this before. You can do it again because we are human, all, all of us. And Sometimes you get to the point where you just feel like, okay, I've hit a wall. And I've had people say that to me a lot. Well, you've gone through harder things or you've been through this again, or I've seen you rebound before. That can be a really kind of passive, aggressive way to say, just get over get it. Over it. Yeah. And that's just not reality a lot of times, not only with mental illness, just with life's hard knocks. And I think that that may have played into my denial was Mm -hmm. that part of that was I did have a lot of confidence in you Mm -hmm. because you were an overcomer. Not not only that, I referred earlier to just the life and the energy I felt like you had and you possessed Mm -hmm. and you were very outgoing and and you still have some incredible people skills. I think some of that's been reshaped a little bit by by, uh, your recovery but your people skills are off the charts. And I look at our daughters that I think have great people skills. I think they've inherited a lot of that from you mm-hmm. and and um, and have learned that from you. And so I think I, I rested and counted on that a lot. And that played into me just in my mind thinking, okay, let's just, let me help st- get Stacy through this and then things are going to get better. Mm-hmm. And me carrying you or pushing you and pulling you uh, it was kind of like when we were in the mountains a few weeks ago and we were hiking. Now, I wasn't in great shape to go very far either, but we were trying to go. And I realized I, mean, I got about 100 yards or so ahead of you at one point, And it just hit me how much that was like me trying to, um, as we walked through this road during this time, I was just trying to push or pull you up this mountain. And, and that was not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And I think part of overcoming the denial was just realizing Okay, and, and people speaking into my life, Doug, this just isn't sustainable. You just can't keep doing it. It's not good for you, but it's certainly not good for Stacy. Yeah. It's not helping her. I think we quickly came to the realization that um, early on in our marriage and throughout the first 10, 15 years, that when we got married, like I said a few minutes ago, that I was tired. And that wasn't just a physical tired. It wasn't like that as much as it was an emotional tired, yeah. uh, just a mental drain. Um, and so something that I touch on in the book, um, you were saying that I wrote a few years ago, is that um, I had been a grown up for a very long time. And that 
in itself became, I guess, a slow descent to where I was kind of prematurely tired on things that wouldn't have made somebody else just feel the same way I did. Yeah. And I think, too, I, I've heard a number of therapists and counselors talk about this, that it seems like for a lot of people, um, the early to mid-30s is when a lot of this stuff really hits. And I, and I think for you, it was a very slow, like you were, like you say, descending into this, okay, because you were strong, you were trying to hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And I think we got to a place where our kids were at an age where, you know, they were at ages where an age where you were remembering a lot of things from your growing up at that age, mm -hmm. but also just a lot began just to become the tables turned and, and we couldn't manage it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it, it was qu it quickly became unsustainable. Yeah. But you're right. You were tired. And I think I had pushed you a lot and, and pulled so hard to try to keep moving us forward that that added to that being tired too. Sure. And about that time is when we realized that I needed professional help and that that was super important. And we, uh, if you're new to our journey or new to um, our family story, we have been um, pretty forthright about talking about medication. And with medication, we feel like that that needs to be a decision that's made between you and the Lord and the um, people that are directly in your circle, whether you're married or not, um, your, your parents, whatever it needs to look like, because it is a big decision. Um, you can't go on medication and then go, mm, I'm feeling better and take yourself off of medication. I've tried that. Uh, I ended up in a mental hospital when my girls were five and eight. So it is a commitment, uh, at least for the amount of time that a health professional tells you that it is, and they can help moderate that and see what you need. But medicine has been a big part of our journey. And I was wondering if you would share a little bit about how we made that decision to start for me to start taking medicine for depression and uh, how the medicine has really been a part of our recovery, my recovery. Yeah. It's become an essential part of my recovery. And, and I think certainly, Stace, this is one of those areas to where we are describing our story. We're not certainly trying to prescribe anything for anybody else, as we often say. We're not counselors. We're not doctors. We're just people on this journey. And so that's that's what we're sharing out of this. Um, you know, what's funny is, as we were talking about some of these questions, is I can still remember the first time, for some reason it stuck in my head, I remember going to the pharmacy to pick up your first prescription. Mm. Um, and I think part of that is going back, you know, to when that was, there was maybe, um, it seemed like more concern about it. Like mm -hmm. people thought like, well, if you, if you go into medicine, it means you're just not trying hard enough. Mm -hmm. And there was this attitude almost of, well, it's the easy way out. You should just, right. you know, um, work harder or from a, a Christian spiritual perspective, if you just did more of these Christian things more, you could work yourself out of depression or whatever you're going through, such as if you just read your Bible more, you just prayed more, if you just attended church more and were more engaged. And I think for us, we tried that. We really did. And we tried. You worked very hard. You worked with some some different, uh, probably unofficial kind of counseling uh, that for a while, and, and it just you just weren't getting better. And I think we realized, we hit a wall, as you described, and we realized we need to get some professional help. 
And one of the first things they did was prescribe some medicine. And I remember, you know, I don't remember being real, you were, I think, nervous about it, but but we felt like we knew we, we couldn't go backwards. We had to try this. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's interesting is that first prescription you were prescribed was not good. Right. It honestly wasn't the right medicine. And uh, we had gone to a, to a doctor because we just, you know, so often one of the hard things is if you decide you need to get help, particularly if you're trying to get into a psychiatrist, this is, you know, well before COVID and trying to get into a doctor, it, it could be, it was three months, I think, to get into a psychiatrist that was active. So we just kind of got into the first thing we could get in to see. And honestly, the medicine that was prescribed um, sent you further down and not up. Yeah. And we don't want to be discouraging in that because there are a lot of good doctors, but at the same time, that was our experience. And the medicine, to be more specific, what it did was it basically was a uh, medicine for epilepsy. They wanted to slow down my thinking and my mind, which they did to the point where I couldn't even make a sentence. I couldn't speak. It was way too much medication. And so when you're in the throes of this, please tell people so that that way they can be praying for you to have wisdom and um, that the, the God will prepare the doctor for you that you need to see so that you don't have to run the gamut on medications that aren't going to help you in order to um, take the edge off. So we did, definitely. We, and we, stopped, we, we stopped did have it. to be proactive about making a change there, which we were. And I think um, one of the most important things that I think we were told early on about medicine. And I really, truly believe this is true. And if anybody out there is worried or thinking, well, I'm just taking the easy way out, or maybe my loved one, obviously this episode's focused on supporting your loved ones. I'm just taking the easy way out. Well, one of the most important things that was shared with us about it is that, you know, in many ways, medicine just evens the playing field. So for you, Stacy, it just evens the playing field where you can have an opportunity to to do the hard work of counseling and therapy and uh, those things. And so it's not like you're just on a fix-all, simple solution. You've had to blend medicine with a lot of counseling and therapy and putting in a lot of work on your part to um, gain the ground you've made over the years and your recovery. Yeah, there is definitely a way with medication to merely exist. And uh, I, with our situation with my situation we've always just said as much as possible for me to be medicated but I wanted to be aware of what was going on and sometimes that has been made our journey even harder but I didn't want to be numbed out to the point where I couldn't make good decisions or um, at least have help with those decisions and for me to be able to function well um, there have been times where the doctors have said, if we do put you on more, then you will be numbed out. And there have been times that that has been a definite temptation. But what we're trying to do is um, just get just enough for me to be able to, like you said, um, fight. Yeah. And uh, sometimes sometimes that's pretty murky situation. But Well, I appreciate, Stacey, the, the discipline. Um, it's been a discipline of your recovery. And you've kept that discipline. And, and you've really been consistent with it. And I, th- and I appreciate that because it does, it has made a huge difference, not only for you, but for our whole family. Mm-hmm. 
And I know a lot of people um, waver in that. And maybe maybe a struggle is going on and off medication or not being consistent and taking their medication. But I think you've really strived for that discipline to, to maintain that as part of your recovery. Mm-hmm. And it really has, most importantly, it's made a difference for you. But I also see the blessing and benefit it's been for me and for our daughters and, and how that's been um, a gift of your love for all of us, I think by doing that because I know the medicine doesn't always make you feel great no. and, and there's side effects to it. And I know you have to wrestle with those, but I know so those, I also know that there's um, the benefits of it that, that has been a big part of your story. Well, it's in my opinion with the way I look at it is that if I can take medications and I'm on quite a few, um, if I can take medication and be able to stay home and not be in a mental hospital, um, all the time consistently, then it is a small price to pay, but it isn't a small thing. (laughs) So, um, but I've, I've always wondered this and I know this has changed over time. It's had different seasons and different ways of, um, of showing itself, but with me having, um, a chronic illness, how has this, um, affected your parenting and your parenting responsibilities because, well, you can just share. I mean, what you think on that? Sure. I think, well, one thing I know is that you're really hard on yourself about this. Mm-hmm. And I know that you struggle with guilt over this and are really hard on, um, especially now that our, our daughters are young adults, they're out of the home and thinking back to maybe some times when, um, you weren't as able to be as engaged because of your illness. Um, I would say that I think you did an incredible job in, in despite the, the battle you've had, you've been an incredible mom. And I really have seen that, watched that, believe that. And I know there's times we've talked about it to where maybe you were, you know, on the couch or in bed, unable to really engage, you know, at times, you know, the throws, particularly at the really darkest days of your anorexia, maybe preparing preparing food and meals for, for our girls was a struggle and something that was a real challenge. Um, you know, I think for me, and I think just if there's anything we can share to, to help encourage somebody else, um, there has been seasons that were tougher than others, for sure. Definitely. And in the early days of, of this mental illness, as we were just kind of trying to feel our way along and figure it out, I know... Um, I would take the girls at times and just, you know, thinking that maybe giving you some space because it's just, you said you were tired. It, tired was kind of an over, overarching um, feeling I think you had. If I could take the girls, go do something and give you some space, it would let you rest. Mm-hmm. Um, in hindsight, I don't know if that was really the right thing because, you know, we didn't, it's not good to isolate you and just say, well, we're going to go function. We're going to isolate you. But at the same time, there was that balance of, okay, our girls at that time were maybe not really understanding what was going on. And we had to help help kind of navigate that and also really stay committed to saying, we're going to fight this battle. We're going to help them press on with childhood into teenage years into growing up. And so um, I thought maybe, you know, I'm not a coffee drinker, but it seemed like we would end up over at Starbucks and I would buy them each a hot chocolate. And maybe we'd all have hot chocolate and we'd sit around and the Starbucks there at the time had uh, some different board games or different things. It was just a, a, 
away. One, we didn't have a lot of money, so it was kind of a cheap and expensive way to go take them and do something for a couple hours that wasn't very expensive. So I wonder if if that kind of fueled my our two daughters' love for coffee because they are definitely coffee yeah. connoisseurs today. <laughs> um, so maybe we inadvertently created that. Um, but I think too, it also deepened relationships I had in different ways with each of our two daughters. Um, we, you know, but also I think we rallied together as a family and we, we had to um, come together and say, we're not going to leave anybody behind. I never want I remember one time, I can't remember why that this, this person said this, a therapist asked me, well, if Stacy's not able to do this, why don't you just take the two girls and, and go do a vacation with just them. Mm-hmm. And I really think that therapist was well-intentioned. They were trying to find something to motivate you. It was a motivation tactic to say, well, this will motivate Stacy to press ahead because she doesn't want to be left out. And I'm thinking, how in the world would we go do something and leave you behind like that? Um, again, because all we'd be doing was just isolating you. And, and, and I think by doing that, you would just be, get caught in that more downward spiral more than being lifted out of it, for sure. Yeah, I definitely didn't need help taking myself out of the picture of our family. Yeah. I can, some of my beliefs about uh, my parenting uh, being so rocky and just kind of, not, I don't want to say apathetic because I was anything but apathetic, but just sick, mm-hmm. is that I can have certain pictures in my mind that validate what I'm saying. And that's where I get the, the idea that I should be hard on myself about it. I can remember when the girls were a little bitty and um, I was at the beginning of cutting as a grown, as a grown adult. And I would cut in places where nobody would see. It wasn't a cry for help for me. It was a punishment in private. And I know that those are both horrible, but that it was, was trying to your mind trying to somehow it was that thinking in your mind that you were you were worthy of punishment so you should take it out on yourself that's right and i also will restate that i do believe that cutting or any type of self harm is a precursor to suicide it's just a matter of building up to that point perhaps and for everyone that can take a different amount of time that's why it's so dangerous and um, I was living very dangerously. And uh, I can remember um, when the girls would get home from school and I would either be in bed like you're referring to her on the sofa and they would come and get in bed with me and we would watch cartoons and they would get their own snack and things like that that I just feel like, wow, I missed it. And I just think that that is really where I get those things that feel very true to me. Um, we did go to the park sometimes and do things like that, but overall it was the girls getting in bed with me and, and us just being together like that. I can remember in pictures during those times, I so badly wanted to be present and my body was there, but I just felt so hollow. Did I feel love? Absolutely. Did I want to embrace them and love on them? And I did that, you bet, but gosh, it's just mental illness is just bad. Yeah. <laughs> it just is. It's just bad. It's the reality of it. It's you know we sit here and talk about it. And I think we've become very open in talking about it. But those are the the realities of the deep hard moments. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty is, and two things I would say is one: uh, no matter where you are as a parent, 
there's grace. There's grace that God gives us, and there's grace that our children give us, and I think we've experienced both. Mm-hmm. But I also think, um, you know, we we also just didn't give up. You didn't give up. We didn't give up. We pressed on. We stayed together as a family. We rallied together. And God has just blessed us with two incredible daughters. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're, they're thriving as young adults. We're close. We have close relationships. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean there's not been things we've had to walk through and overcome. And there's maybe not been hurts they've had to deal with an experience because of, of growing up in a situation of me- chronic mental illness. But at the same time, God has just been good to us to bring yeah. us through that. And and I, I'm sitting here, I don't even, I, I don't, I don't have, hey, here's my five tips for being a parent in this situation. I just look at, I look at those two key words, grace and commitment. Yeah. And somehow we held on to those, both of those things. We clung to them in many ways and we pressed through. Yeah. And that, you're right. The girls, the girls have been so gracious and merciful. I, I just know 100% it's God in their lives. They learned very early that that God was the only one who wasn't going to fail them. And not because you weren't you haven't been in and everything and continue to be such a precious father to them, um, but to be able to say that that they have not been so good to me, I feel like it's beyond what I deserve. And anytime I am with them, sometimes I have a hard time not being just emotional about how much they love on me and hug on me and are patient with me when we're eating still to this day and encouraging to me while we're sitting at a restaurant or at one of their kitchen tables eating and them knowing without a doubt that to this day, that is a very difficult thing for me Mm. and loving on me all the way through. I don't know how this this has happened. It's just the best gift ever. And yes, they have had they have had to go through anger and 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 different things like that. But the whole key with both of our girls that I learned from them so much is they don't stay in that place. And that's what I have learned from them when I'm trying to forgive myself for the things that I feel like have been just rotten for them. I just have to say, you know what? They haven't stayed in that anger. They haven't stayed in the resentment. They have just navigated things so beautifully, and that's God. And I think we've we've um, we've seen and we've learned that they have both dealt with it differently. Very much. Obviously, they're different people, mm-hmm. different personalities, and so we've had we've had to learn along the way mm-hmm. how to um, give them the freedom to deal with it in their own way. That's right. Instead of. And I think at times we've been tempted to do this, and maybe this is not necessarily a conflict, but a tension point we've had to work through, and we have worked through those, is when maybe we've kind of put an expectation on, we, in a way, saying, we want you to work through it this way. And we've had to step back and see, well, we need to give them the space to work through it in their own way. And if we can give them that space and give them that room to deal with it in the way they want, they, they choose to deal with it, and what's kind of as how they've navigated through the teen years into college and beyond now, that's worked. Again, I don't know if we really knew what we were doing all the time, but God's been good and it's just, it's worked. It's worked. Doug, also, what are some things um, that you feel like happen when you know I'm feeling extreme? What do you, what are some cues for you that that happen? Um, And by extreme, I want to be more specific that everything is hard. 
um, very black and white. My decisions aren't good at all, much less safe. I can be kind of extreme and, and unsafe sometimes to this day. What is what is that for you? Well, I think uh, for me, at least, I, I try to step, in, step into that situation and one, um, not be surprised by it, but two, also be attuned to it. I think our recovery, your recovery has gotten to the place to where um, those times are fewer and farther, farther between. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, certainly this summer was one example of, of uh, how I can almost, I need to be careful I'm not underestimating or missing out on something because I just feel like, oh, we're past that. And so um, have to be attuned to that, have to listen. And I think overall, take, take the lessons I've learned from the past about being proactive, asking you questions, maybe um, going and sitting in on a counseling session with you. So I'm, I'm hearing and understanding what's what's going on and, and getting feedback, too, so that I'm getting this objective view, helping me better understand and also really coaching me as to how I can be a support to you um, throughout the throughout those times and when you're experiencing that. But but I do think um, it's it's listening it's also, this is how our relationship works. It's not getting frustrated. And I will say at times I, I get frustrated and I wrestle with that. But part of that is is my expectation. It's not letting my expectations get ahead of me that I'm thinking, oh, this is my expectation of where you should be. And if we're stepping backwards, somehow it's a failure. And, and that's a weight that's unfair to put on you. And so I need to um, be patient with expectations and also listen and then help gently point you to what's true. So I think a lot of times in those moments, the mental illness is, is your mind, like you described before, it's screaming, it's telling you things that aren't true. So whether it's related to your eating disorder or about a relationship or about uh, just an overall negative thought pattern going on because of depression. Mm-hmm. It's helping you um, see what's true and realize too, that I'm going to have to repeat that and say that several times in several different ways. It's usually not just one time we say it and we're moving on. It's a lengthy conversation. You know, it's just knowing we got to jump in and dive in and do that and, and not try to rush through it. Yeah. Take our time, talk through it. And even then, just it's just to be present, right? And sometimes to know that I can't necessarily, this is hard for me, I can't always fix it. I just need to be there with you. So in those times, you're wise to say, Stacy, why don't you go ahead and text or call yeah. your therapist? And, um, you know, I don't make a habit of that. And some therapists are not willing to do that. I understand that totally. It's just per therapist. And um, so I've had therapists that will let me do that. And I've had therapists where that door is not open past five o'clock at night. And um, both both have worked with for me. Um, but, you know, a few minutes ago, you mentioned counseling. And uh, I wanted to touch on that just briefly. Um, how have you feel like you've participated in that? I know it hasn't just been like this steady thing where you go with me all the time because... Right. Obviously, you work and all these things, but how have you let that kind of melt into um, your role with me? I think one, two things I was thinking of with this. One is um, being committed to making sure you had a path to get there, mm-hmm. and, meaning financially. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been tough. 
And I, you know, years ago, um, I went out and mowed yards to help make sure we could pay for that. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't have great insurance at that time. And so, you know, willing to go and be above and beyond to to make sure that was accessible was something that I kind of realized we had to do. We we were so desperate. We had to have that. Um, I, I think in the earlier days of this journey, I was thinking back, I was attending more appointments with you, both with psychiatrists and therapists. I think as time has gone on, that has lessened some because one, I've learned um, your consistency has kind of changed in that relationship. You have close relationship with consistent therapists that are, that know you well, that are deeply engaged in your life. But I think I still think, and we, we saw this this summer, you hit some low points that were a little bit at least unexpected to me. And so I did sit in on a session or two with you so that I could hear and, and hear from your therapist. We had a joint session with a therapist and your uh, your uh, nutritionist. And that way I could get objective insight, get some coaching on what I should do to better help you and just to be an active participant in that. I think sometimes me going and sitting in, even though it's not near as frequent as it used to be, is just a sign to you maybe that, hey, I am an active participant. I'm, I'm in your corner. Um, I'm supporting you in this, and I want to be a part of this. And part of that is me wanting to learn. Some of the most intense times for me learning was during your inpatient stay. And they had a, a number of very intentional things with uh, family weeks, with family sessions that I really benefited from. And so mm-hmm. I, I feel like I learned a lot there. And then continuing on from there, just, just not frequent necessarily, but routine check-ins, checkpoints. Um, even me knowing and being engaged with your therapist and your team is really important. Mm-hmm. It's not like you have that part of your life and I, and I don't even know what's going on in that. Uh, I'm not near as involved as you are, obviously, but at the same time, I need to know. I want to be informed. I want to be coached. And I also want you to know I'm in your corner yeah. and I'm supportive of you. And I'm supportive of this. Yeah, I remember there have been times where, without a doubt, we couldn't afford it. And like you were talking about a minute ago, um, insurance largely, for most of our journey, was not recognizing mental illness as um, something that they need to cover. And so there have been times where there have been brief amounts of time where I couldn't have that help or that we were so in debt over it financially that it just seemed like, gosh, what am I putting more stress on you? Is it worth that? And you would always say, you're here. You're here. So it's worth every cent of it. I mean, getting help is a privilege. Um, And at the onset, I wasn't showing up at my appointments sometimes. And I think that's why you would come and and meet me, not to say, oh, you know, just what I thought. You weren't going to be here anyway. But to say, I need you to be where you say you're going to be. Otherwise, I'm worried sick. And so that was, you know, that's gotten better. And there are times when I still go, gosh, you know, I'm sorry my therapist hasn't even seen me today. But um, at the same time, I risk it because I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Well, and again, it's it's a discipline of recovery. And I go back to that. And you are consistent and disciplined in doing that. And I recognize that a lot of people aren't, and so I'm, I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful for your commitment to it, and um, it's been worth it at times. Hey, I, I joke with people that I've learned really well how to uh, delay on paying a bill, right, with a doctor, because sometimes we've had to stretch things out and stretch things for long periods of time, and we've gotten through. You get through. 
you do, you get through. One of the things that I feel like also drew me to you all those years ago was that I just needed someone to protect me. And I had no idea it was going to be for the reasons that it's been. And uh, I just think you've always had this ability to, you know, know when someone was asking me things that they shouldn't be asking me or saying things to me that were perhaps inappropriate. And let me be more specific. Um, some of the things that people have said to me, uh, let me just go right to them, um, are, are things like, how could you be depressed? You have everything. Uh, I'm over here struggling and I'm not depressed. Or um, things about anorexia, especially people have said like, um, I wish I had trouble taking bites of my food. All I can do is overeat. I wish I had that problem. Look at my gut. Um, you know, different things like that. Are people saying these things to be rude? No. But do they need to censor what they say? Absolutely. We do need to be kind with our words, no matter what someone's dealing with. And, uh, you know, Things like that have been said, plus a million more things. Those are just two very direct things that I could think of at this time. But you've you've been there to protect me, and I think you've grown in that over the years. Um, there have been seasons, instances, um, and it's become a lifestyle. Yes, and I, and I think um, it's certainly something I've had to grow into. I don't think, I think that I'm a laid-back person, mm-hmm. and a weakness of being a laid back person, I think at times, at least for me, has been um, slow to act. Mm-hmm. That I, again, like I said earlier, can, can almost have that paralysis by analysis, try to figure it all out, then do, then say then, then the right thing at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think at times um, I've probably not been as protective as I should have been. Uh, but that's also, also something I've grown into. I, I was thinking of two specific instances and again, this is our journey and our experience, so it's not prescriptive for everybody. But I was thinking about, and we've shared this story before, when, when we were early in this journey and we had gotten, we, we were at a crisis, you were at a crisis, and we needed to essentially check into a mental hospital. And we didn't know how to do that. We didn't, I mean, how do you do that? How do you check into a mental hospital? So we got some direction. We went, it just, it became very confusing. So we got to a place and you're going through the process. And I remember it just felt like I was dropping you off at prison basically. And, and at the last second of the check-in process, I, I just literally grabbed your hand and I said, this isn't right. We're getting out of here. And we left. And in the moment, I also remember thinking there's going to be hell to pay with your therapist that said, you're in crisis, you need to get to a mental hospital. It wasn't that I was saying, this was not denial, I didn't think. It wasn't me saying, no, you don't need that. It was, this is not right. This is not the right place. And I just, something deep inside, I think I saw the terror in your eyes. I felt it in my own spirit and I thought, this isn't right. And so we bolted and we left. Now, we found the right place the very next morning. So we didn't delay. We knew we had to do something and we took the next right step. But I felt like that was something where I, would, I really looking back, I thought that was out of character for me because usually I would have slowly tried to think through it, analyze it, make the right decision, kind of get stuck trying to weigh all the options. 
we didn't have that that time there. We didn't have that ability to to have that kind of process. I just grabbed and I went. So that was one. Um, another time, and it wasn't specifically what somebody said that you were describing, but it was another time where uh, I felt really just bothered by it. And can somebody somebody minimizing your story and the impact of your story? I wasn't there for it, thankfully, probably, because I might have overreacted. You were very bothered, and you called me after this, and you had met somebody, an acquaintance, wasn't really a friend. You were telling them all the things that God was doing in your life at that point about, you know, you're still battling anorexia, you're still battling, dep- battling depression, but you had begun to write about it, and you began to speak a little bit about it. God was beginning to use some of that, and we were, we were just in the beginning stages of seeing some of the purposes out of this story and how you know, what you're walking through could help somebody else. And I felt very bothered by the fact that so the person just stopped you and said, well, we could just pray for that and you could be totally free of it and you could just be done with it. Implying essentially that one, we hadn't prayed that before. That wasn't our desire. And two, it just was totally discounting all the ways that God was using your story. And I just, I almost just kind of like wanted to yell, like, don't you see what God is doing? Even in the midst of this. Now, would it be wonderful for this all to be, to be free of this? Yes. But also, I think we realize, you know, God is healing you, like you said last week, in his timing and for his purposes. And that became a very passionate thing for me where I was very upset and angry and and just became protective of you around that story and wanted to protect you from people putting that kind of an expectation on you of saying, well, God's not really at work if he doesn't heal you immediately. I think that's exactly wrong. God is bringing glory in the process. And for many people, I think you're not not experiencing instantaneous recovery. Mm -hmm. For many people, it took many traumas and many experiences for them to get to the place they're in with mental illness. And it may take a lot of healing and recovery to get out of that. But But also... We don't have to get to the end of the story or to be totally free before God can't want to use it and we can't be in the middle of what God's wanting to do in our lives. And so you could probably even tell I'm still very passionate about that. But I, I became very passionate in that moment. And I thought it's probably very good um, that I wasn't there because I might have been asked to leave Target. But that was something I felt very defensive about and still do to protect just to protect your story. and, and and the value of what God's doing, um, because there is value there. It's so valuable. Your story matters. To every one of you listening, your story matters. And I think that's something I'm very protective of for you, Stacey. If someone tries to diminish that, I'm going to jump in, and I am a laid-back person, but I'll get overheated at that pretty fast. Um, laid-back does not mean passive, and it doesn't mean apathetic. And so those that's True. not the same. Um, so that, that Those are tendencies I have to protect myself from though. I, I can just admit, cause I, I know that there's a lot of people out there that may fall on one line or the other is that if I'm not careful, I can tend to be passive and that's just my natural bent. And I have to, I have to let God work through those natural weaknesses in me, mm-hmm. um, and, and help me overcome those things. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, I think I've, I've had to grow in that because of what you had to walk through. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not there yet all the way, but I think I'm, I'm better than I once was. I think you're doing pretty good because your face is like really red. <laughs> and if y'all have never seen Doug, he's almost bald. 
and um, his head's red and everything like that. So okay. um, we'll yeah. transition a little bit here. <laughs> you got to cool off. Okay. <laughs> But, you know, with our whole story and everything, and um, can you just think of some ways that maybe it's changed over time, like our marriage and our communication? Because hmm. at the beginning of our marriage, uh, I was totally the one who would, if we were having a disagreement, an all-in-all-out fight or anything like that, I would leave. And the reason I would do that is because I was afraid he was about to leave. So I wanted to beat him to it because I was scared to death. Um, well, I think definitely we've matured. We both matured, right? We've grown. And I think how we handle conflict, how we handle things has definitely changed and grown over time and hopefully improved. Uh, that's not going on. I think, you know, we've for 28 years demonstrated that neither one of us are leaving, even when we've had very difficult moments. Um, in our marriage, things that we've both failed on, you know, we could have had those moments of saying, okay, we're out, we're done. Right. Thinking about our mental illness journey, I'm, you know, it's kind of like when you're with somebody and you see them every day, like a child, you may not realize how much they've grown. But if you're a, a distant relative or someone that hasn't seen your child in, in a year and then they show up and you see them, it's like, oh, my gosh, you've grown so much. It's because it's happening over. You don't see me if you're close to it because it's happening slowly over time. And I think not that I, I feel like we haven't. We've drastically changed and grown. Um, but it's also been so gradual that sometimes I have to make myself step back and realize, man, how blessed am I and how blessed are we? Because we're not where we were seven, eight, ten years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I think... That sounds scary to you, Stacey, yeah. because it sounds scary because you feel like I'm saying and assuming, oh, we're done. We're, we're past it. It's over. It's, it's fearful to you because that's not your experience. Right. Um, but I also think back just how many hard, long nights we had and how many moments, as you've just said them before, sitting in the floor of the bathroom, really just trying to get to the next hour and I'm going to try to get to the next day. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, I don't want to um, underestimate the power of the illness that we could get back to that moment again mm -hmm. and that we don't have those low dips in, in times to be unaware of that. But at the same time, we're not living there like we once were. Mm -hmm. Well, that was the everyday experience. And a lot of that's like we've, we've just talked about. It's the medicine. But more than that, it's, it's the work you've put in and, and continue to put in to live in recovery. Mm -hmm. So I, I see progress, not completion. You guys, man, we appreciate y'all so much. Just the fact that you'll take the time to listen. Um, this is like hard work and we, we are really thankful for the privilege to get to do this. Um, what we've done is made this a two-part episode and we wanted to do that so that that way you can kind of get a break in between both and that way you can continue to also listen on the topic of Doug um, and his experiences of living with me as I've had mental illness our entire marriage and this is an important conversation this is one that he agreed to and uh, he is very humble but he is just really answered these questions in order to help you in your journey. We don't want to overwhelm you. What we want to do is give you tools and encouragement and hope in our journey and in yours. So part of that is if you would please go on and uh, subscribe, 
to speak out loud, a podcast, and to also follow and share. Um, also to go onto our regular pages on Instagram and Facebook, Speak Out Loud podcast pages, and just the regular Speak Out Loud pages. Those are all us. And so we know that um, our social media efforts are paying off and that you are hearing about what we're doing. That would be so great. We would so appreciate that. We hope you have an awesome week. Come back next week for the second part of this conversation that I'm having with Doug um, on Speak Out Loud podcast. See you guys. See you guys. Thanks so much.